glad you guys all made it. We got a few families out. We want to continue to pray for them as well. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, we started as, as we've been going through uh, the, the, the Gospels and uh, the letters of Paul. And we are now in the First Thessalonians, and one of the I, I, I think it's a very exciting book because, uh, as I mentioned from the very beginning, this is a church that we that it, we could model ourselves from. It's a model church. It's a model church because, as I've stated before, Paul was only there for a short time. People think that he was only there for three weeks because he only preached for three Sabbaths, and then he was run out of town. Some people say he was there a little bit longer, but whatever the, the time frame was, it was a very short time that he was there. And uh, as he went to the city, as he normally did, he went to the synagogues and he was talking to them about the scriptures. He'd always used the scriptures, went back to the Old Testament, brought out the Old Testament, and he applied the Old Testament teaching about Messiah, which is the anointed one. Uh, Messiah is in Hebrew. Christ is in Greek. And uh, many people think that Jesus' last name was Christ. It's not Jesus Christ. You wouldn't go into the phone book and look under Christ to find Jesus and uh, that, that is his title. That is who he is. He is the anointed one. And so in the Old Testament, there was a, a prophecy that was very clear that Messiah was to come. And when we talked about the gospel of God, that's all the apostles had. That's all the New Testament church had. They didn't have the Roman road. They didn't have the four spiritual laws. They didn't have evangelism explosion or whatever other tract or idea that you think that they might have had. All they had was the scriptures. And Paul would prove to the people that were listening, especially the Jews, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He's the one that fulfilled every one of those points that the prophet spoke about. And uh, Jesus himself, as he told the two men that were walking home on the road to Emmaus, and they were downcast, and they meet this stranger. They didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus asks them, what are you guys discussing? And they said, the, the one that we thought was going to rescue Israel, they, they, our, our leaders, they murdered him. They crucified him. And then he says, oh, you slow of heart, you, you dim-witted people, basically. He says, don't you understand that the Christ needed to suffer these things? And Jesus took them all the way back to Moses, to the prophets, to the writings and telling them this is these are the things that Messiah was to go through. Now, during that time when we talked about the gospel of God, I shared with you Isaiah 53, a, a, a prophecy, I mean, pinpoint by Isaiah as if he himself were sitting up underneath the cross just writing about it. And this is what God revealed to him. He showed uh, Jesus Christ high and lifted up. So Isaiah is prophesying from something that he's going to see in the way future that we haven't seen yet, high and lifted up, and then he's looking back to the cross to where he was crucified and all the things that took place. So the gospel of God has always been the gospel message that we proclaim. The gospel is not my testimony. The gospel is not me, which my testimony is effective sometimes when people understand, wow, he saved a sinner like you? Yeah, it blows me away too that he saved a sinner like me. But that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not feeding the hungry and uh, clothing the poor, though we should clothe the poor and, and help them and, and feed the hungry as well. We, we, but that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not passing out tracts. The gospel message is very clear, and somewhere along the line, the church has lost the message 
of the gospel, good news. And Isaiah is very clear. Paul was very clear, and it was always, you sinned. You murdered the Messiah. You are the one that, that, that strayed away from God. And that was the message from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve all the way through. You sinned. You went to the tree, and you shouldn't have eaten from it. You were covered, and you were, you were to die. But the good news, the gospel message, because you are a sinner, because you should die, God extended his grace. And from that point forward, grace had been extended, and it was always by faith. And the same thing that happened to Abraham, the same thing that happens to us today. From the beginning to the cross, it has always been by faith. From the cross up to today, it has always been by faith. And our faith now is in Jesus Christ because he is the Messiah. And this is the message This is the message that Paul was preaching and teaching, and people did not want to hear it. No, no, not that guy. The one that they crucified, the one they put up on that tree, the one they put up on the cross, the one that they beat brutally, Isaiah 53 describes exactly what was going to happen to them if they would just look. But God caused their hearts to be hardened, their eyes to be closed, and their ears to be plugged, and uh, Right at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6, after Isaiah had that encounter, and, and he says, holy, holy, holy. Uh, the angels were proclaiming the holiness of God. And Isaiah says, woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He recognized his sinfulness. He recognized that he should be dead. He recognized that God showed up. And when God shows up, we have no grounds on which to stand on. Our response should always be like Isaiah and fall on our face and Lord, have mercy on me because I know I should be struck down dead right now because I am a sinner. You know, and and I'm just going to veer off a little bit here only to say that the claims that people say that they've seen Jesus Christ and they hang out with Jesus Christ, they hang out with God, they, 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 you know, they, they frolic through the lilies and they have a great time. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they had seen, but I'll tell you one thing. I would be like Peter when Peter was on the boat trying to fish all night and Jesus calls out to him, throw your nets on the other side. And they caught this huge load of fish and then Jesus and then he goes up to Jesus and he falls down upon him. Depart from me, for I am a sinner. That's how I would be if I had an encounter with Jesus. Lord, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't you know, go out and proclaim it because I know that if I stand before God or Jesus Christ, and if I stand before him in any sense, I should be struck dead just for my sin. But God extends his mercy, and he extends his mercy. And then God asks Isaiah, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, well, send me. I'll, I'll go. All right, I'm going to send you, Isaiah. And, you know, I would, you, would, you would think that God would give him a nice message. By the way, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be a, a mega pastor. You're going to have a mega church. You're going to have all kinds of people coming at you. And, and, and you're, going to, you're going to see just the fruitfulness of your labor because you first and foremost encountered me, God is saying to Isaiah. And now I'm sending you out because you humbled yourself and you're willing to go. And I'm going to send you out. But the message was just the opposite. God said, they're going to hear you, but they're not going to understand. They're not going to see. They're not going to respond to your message. They are going to cast you out. As a matter of fact, everything you do, they're not even going to listen to what you say. I don't know how many of you would go off on a trek, on a journey, knowing that you were going to fail. And on top of that, they murdered him. They murdered the prophets. He was sodden too. He was killed because of the message of God. 
And so when Paul gets to this point uh, in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, when Paul gets to this point, he, he is going to share with us some, just some truth about what takes place in our life when we commit ourselves to God, when we commit ourselves to his word. You see, God's word changes God's people. The power of God's word and the changing of God's word and the, uh, the growing of God's word. Where did my outline go? Here it is. The power of God's word will empower you. It will uh, transform you and it will sustain you. And God's word is what Paul preaches to, to every church, every place that he goes, every city. He goes back to the scriptures and he proclaims God's word. In the process, God is bringing in the new covenant, the New Testament. And he's bringing in the new covenant with words from himself. Jesus Christ encounters Paul and gives Paul the discipleship lesson of the world of all eternity, and he writes 13 letters. We have them, and we receive them, we read them, and we are encouraged by them, we learn from them, and we, and we move from them. And this is where we get our, the rest of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ is the one that fulfilled that prophecy. So in chapter 2, in chapter 2, we, we talked about uh, a few things the, the last couple of weeks, but I'm just going to go back over and read that up to verse 16. So we can catch up and see where we're at right now. It's, and Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. If you go back, we did uh, here a few weeks ago, we went back to Acts chapter 17. We see that in Thessalonica, he, he, was, uh, he was beat up, he was harassed. Uh, Jason was drug out from his house, and they were asking, where's Paul? He came in and stirred up all kinds of trouble. Paul left, and his companions left, and they, they beat them up. They, they called them all kinds of names, and they beat up Jason, and they, they brought him to the, through the, uh, the magistrate. There's just all kinds of trouble. Everywhere Paul went, he was a troublemaker is what they said. Everywhere he goes. But it was these people that were following him causing this trouble because of the gospel of God. Then he goes on to say in verse 34, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Many times the gospel, well, one of the reasons I believe the gospel message has been so watered down, just about anything can be the gospel now, is because, well, the gospel message is offensive. It's the most hated doctrine in the world. People don't want to know that they're sinners. See, before gospel, as we've been talking about, this gospel means good news. And we need to understand that it is good news, but we can't understand the good news in just by saying, oh, this is the good news. Oh, that's great. You got to understand the good news in light of and alongside the bad news. We're sinners deserving of death, of punishment. And yet Jesus Christ came to save a wretch like us. How great is our God? Amen? How great is our God? I, I, I sing how great thou art because, you know, what he's done for me, that on the cross he took my sin. You know, that God is great because he, he, he's able to do that. No, nothing else in all eternity is able to save us from the eternal wrath of God. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about being saved from God. 
Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, as a lot of people were doing at that time. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Verse 7, but we, are gent- we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul is expressing to them, you know, if we'd had more time, you'd have seen, you, you already saw my, my affection for you. You knew that I, I loved you guys. I didn't want to bother you guys or burden you guys. I, I was a tent maker. I, I provided for my own needs. I wasn't like one of those itinerary preachers that were going around preaching and asking for money and trying to get into your houses and take everything that you have with these, this faith. You know, I was, I was not using flattery. I was not using any kind of magic or anything. I came to you with the gospel of God. God is my witness. And you guys saw that, he says. I didn't want anything from you. As a matter of fact, I wanted to care for you even more so like a nursing mother. We think about Paul and his direct approach in preaching the gospel and head, head to head with people, and especially the Pharisees and, and those that were against the gospel message. And sometimes we forget that Paul was a very gentle giant. He was a man that truly loved the church, that he he would lay down his life once he encountered Jesus Christ. Remember, Saul was out trying to kill the church, get rid of the church, do everything he can to eradicate the church, people of the way. As a matter of fact, he was on his way as Saul to Damascus to imprison those that were of the way, to take away their property, take away their freedom, take away their life if he had to, chain them up and drag them all the way back down to Jerusalem. That was Paul. That was Saul. And then he had that encounter with Jesus Christ. And he says, like a nursing mother, I, I, I feel so shameful. I, the guilt has been removed and, and my, my shame has been taken away. And now I just want to serve my Lord and my Savior. And I do not want to kick against the goads anymore. And in verse 8, so being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you had become very dear to us. Verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while you were while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. There's that word again. The phrase, the gospel of God, keeps popping up in Paul's verbiage, and, he, and he, he says it many times. Jesus Christ himself, I come to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. God's gospel has always been the same. It's not what we know today. It's always been the same as, as the Old Testament that we use and we, we proclaim to other people. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward your, you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says, you know, I, I was gentle like a mother, and I was encouraging like a father. I was training you and teaching you and exhorting you. But, but I was careful and, and gentle, but at the same time, you needed discipline in certain areas. Paul was in love with this church. He was just excited about the short time that he was able to spend with them and how it just blossomed. It just went out. There was, there was just this, this trumpeting, this 
how they, they, they received the message and they became imitators of Paul. And he says, well, if they beat up Paul, then let them beat me up too. Because I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And the word got out. And the word got out. And in, and in verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus and are in Judea, that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as to always be to always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Father in heaven, I pray that as this last portion of the scripture that we just read, the wrath that is coming upon those that are opposing you, that we don't see that in any of our family and our friends, people that we dearly love. Help us to be so desirous of the, those that are around us as Paul. Help us to be nurturing like mothers of those that, that, um, that know the gospel message and yet are wayward. Help us to, to be like fathers to encourage those that need to hear your message, Lord. Help us to stand firm. Help us understand that we are empowered by your word to, to proclaim this message, to proclaim the gospel message that you have given us. You've given it to the church to continue to share it with others, especially those within our household. And I pray, Father, that you not only empower us, Lord, but you transform us to be imitators of Paul, of Jesus Christ, and of each other, of those that are walking blamelessly and, and, and walk in such a way as to honor you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you help us as, as we go through this wicked world and sustain us and preserve us. And help us, Lord, because we know that ultimately nothing in all creation will take away what you've given us. And that is the crown of life, the salvation that we all share. So help us to see what Paul is talking about here to the people in Thessalonica. And help us to apply it to our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, God's word will empower the believer. God's word will empower the believer. When Paul is talking to the people in Thessalonica, I kind of give you a brief background. And there's a lot of information that I left out, but I hope and I pray that you go back and listen to the message if you like. But, but you know, what Paul has been doing is he's been talking to these people. He goes to cities. As a matter of fact, when he came to Thessalonica, it was out of a call to Macedonia. And, and he just stopped in there and he realized, you know, this is a place where we need to go. He was, he was rushed out of there quickly and he gave the message. And he heard that the, that the message was, was spreading. And so he, he tells them, he says, and we also thank God. Paul was constantly thanking God's people. I thank God, you know, that, that, that God has done a great work in your life. I thank God for what you are able to do because of what God has done in your life. I thank God. I thank God. I thank God. I was at, a, at an event up by, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know where Oakhurst is at, but it's up by Yosemite. And, and there was a brother there that I, I, I've known for a lot of years. And, and I just found out yesterday that he, ha he has this rare form of, uh, I, you know, some e autoimmune deficiency where his blood cells are just attack attacking himself. And, and what he 
the way he explained it to me, what he said is that there are only three people in California that actually have this rare, and they don't know what to do with him. And, and, and the brother that is, was sitting right next to him, he won't leave his side. Last time I saw them was back in December, I think, and they were both together. And he was already experiencing a lot of this. And, and you know, everywhere this brother goes, and, and one, you know, the older gentleman, he's like about 70, 72, and the other guy's my age, you know, which is a young man, uh, <laughs> 65. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I'm watching these two, you know, and, 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 I, and, and this guy, this guy was, is a hard biker dude. I mean, this guy is just, you know, the 72-year-old man. He's just a hard man, he works hard, plumber, you know, he's done all kinds, yeah, I'm a hunter. I mean, this guy is just your typical guy, and, and I mean, he doesn't let loose, he doesn't, doesn't stop. And, and, and so he's sitting right next to him, and I says, you know, I took him to the side, you know, brother, I just want to tell you, I want to encourage you, I, thank you for, for just, just being there for my brother, you know, I, I just want to thank you. I mean, I didn't do anything, he didn't do anything for me, I just wanted to thank him for his faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And you know this big biker dude, he just broke down and cried. He says, man, I love my brother, Grumpy. But that's what we call him. That's, I, don't, I, don't know if I don't think his mom named him that. That's all I know him by. It's Grumpy. Anyways, I love my brother, Grumpy. I really do. And he just cried, and I prayed for him. I says, you know, I, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for, what, for coming and being a part of North Park. I thank you for sharing the gospel message as I was sharing with Richard this morning. I thank you, Jane, every person that, that just takes it upon themselves to share the gospel message because you are receiving the word. You see, what, what Paul is saying here is that I, I, always, I also thank God constantly for this, that you, when you received the word of God, not my word, not my interpretation of the word, not my storytelling, not my testimony, not what I've been through. I want to give you the word. I want to show, share with you what Paul did to Thessalonica and in this model church that I believe is a great model church that the members got up and started working and sharing the gospel message. I, I, I thank God that when you receive the word which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Now, I don't attend other churches often, you know, and, and I don't. And I honestly, I don't listen to a lot of sermons either. You know, I just want to get into the word. I, I do read a lot of commentaries. I do follow a lot of other uh, people, podcasts and stuff of that nature. But I'm not looking to see what the new fad is. I did that many years ago. And I just got lost. I went down this rabbit hole that, you know, where was Jesus in all this? Oh, you know, well, he, he's, in, he's in the mix of it. You know, he's, he's in the details. And somebody once said to me, I thought it was the devil that was in the details. Okay, well, you know what? Maybe I need to back off a little bit and get, dive deeper into God's word. And, and a lot of times it was about the, the, the stories and the, the pastor. And, you know, and I don't, I don't really know what's going on in a lot of the churches, and, and I don't, except for what I hear from other people. But I, all I want you to know is that I want to share God's word with you because when you hear his word, it'll work in you. It would develop you. It will empower you, as he says here, which is at work. The word is energia or energy, where we get our work energy from. And, and, it, and it energizes you. And it gives you the ability to be confident and bold. 
you'll never, well, you probably have experienced this already. If you've been working with God's word and, and reading it and applying it and sharing it with people, all of a sudden you're talking to somebody and these verses just come out of nowhere and you're sitting there talking to people about Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life and what he can do in your in, in their life as well. And then when you're done, you're, you stand back and say, whoa, where did that come from? But I almost sounded like a pastor or something, you know? It, and that's the energy, the, the empowerment, the, the working that is in you because of God's word. You don't need another revelation. You don't need an outside source to come in and tell you what to do. You don't need to die, go to heaven and come back so you can share with other people. You don't, all you need is God's word. It's sufficient. It's enough. No more, nothing else. I, I, I know people that are saying, well, I need a fresh word. Why? Have you exhausted? Have you truly exhausted everything that's in here? Have you taken every ounce of word, every word, every, every application? Have you really just gotten in there and, and there's no more that you can take out that you need something new? Some people call me uh, the pastor of the dead letter because I don't get the new revelation. And I says, you know, you know if, it, if it agrees with God's word, you know, I don't need it. If it disagrees with God's word, I definitely don't want it. Paul was very clear and careful to share God's word, not man's word. And as we've studied this, the book of Thessalonians, the people that were going around the city talking to them about their philosophy and their ideas and their thoughts and their everything else that was going on in the world and, and how they were trying to portray themselves and, and have people follow them and, and gain disciples and, and they were in it for greed and for money and for other things. But you see, here's the thing. When, when the word of God is spoken, when God's word is spoken clearly and given to people, this is what happens. In Acts 16, 14, Paul is presenting the gospel to people. In, and, and so th there, there is, he's talking to them. He goes out, to the, out of the city. He meets with a group of people, a lot of women. And one who heard us, listen to this, one who heard us. We always have to speak God's word. The one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Lydia didn't open her heart. Jesus wasn't knocking on her door, as we say in Revelations 3.20. Jesus didn't come, you know, asking to come in. You know, Jesus is not a, uh, well, he is, I mean, but the perfect gentleman that's not going to invade your privacy unless you let him in. It's God who opens your heart. As he did here, look, look at the next verse. And, and when the Gentiles heard this, again, the word of God, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, what? Believed. And they, they were appointed. Nobody raised their hand. Nobody came forward. Nobody, you know, they were presented with the gospel message. You're a sinner. The Messiah was killed by your people. You got to repent. They repented. And as many as were appointed. There is an appointed number. And as many as were appointed, believed. Look at this next verse. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So, faith comes from what? Hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the, through the word of Christ. 
faith, your faith, my faith, when you received your faith, it came from hearing the word of Christ. And that faith, that word has to be spoken, and it has to be coming from God's word, not your word, not your testimony, not your life, not what, what you think, well, I believe, or I think. I had an interesting conversation with the, with the gentleman here just recently this last week, and uh, we were talking about, uh, well, just some of the things that are going on within our convention, Southern Baptist Convention. There were some things that were going on, and, oh, yeah, I heard about you guys, and, and so we started discussing those things. And Do you really believe that? It says, what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that, and so it doesn't matter what I believe it or not. It's what it says, you know? Well, what about this? Well, the, this is what the Bible says, it, you know? And so everything that he tried to tell me, what about outside revelation? What, you know, he didn't call that outside revelation, but what about all these other things? Uh, you know... <laughs> I just, I just cannot agree with what you're bringing to me because it's not in the word. You know, it's just, what, what about that, that man that heard a donkey talk to him? Okay, yeah, he couldn't remember that the man said, Balaam, yeah, Balaam's donkey. What about, what about the donkey that, t- that talked to him, you know? And, and what about that? It says, well, I mean, it's in the scripture. So if I were to tell you that a bird talked to me, it says, yeah, well, I'd think you're crazy. No, literally, he says, a bird did talk to me. I said, I got to go. <laughs> I, I got to go now. You know, I, I didn't want to argue anymore with this. And, and when you bring in outside sources, other ideas and thoughts that, that angels show up, that you can, you can smell your angels. I, I was told you can smell your angel. You, when you smell that, he says, My, mine smells like butterscotch. Really? Show me where that says that. Show me, you know. I mean, they show up all over the place. I have... When we start listening to outside sources, yeah, it, it can sound so convincing and so good. But if it's not according to God's scripture, God's word, then, then you know, we have to be careful. And, and I, I know I'm a little radical in that sense. I, I tend to go far right and very conservative in God's word. But you know what? I'd rather be wrong in that area than start to dabble in this other stuff. Because once I let one word in, even if it sounds so convincing and, and true, even if I let just, then I have to let everything else in. I got to consider everything else that sounds good. Beloved, listen to the word of God. Because faith comes from hearing. And when you receive the word, it brings repentance. Number two, God's word will transform the believer. Paul says in the first part of verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Paul is setting it up. Paul is setting it up for the description, or at least the, the discourse that he's going to give about the prophets that they murdered, Jesus Christ that they killed. And so what Paul, is, what Paul is doing here when he says, you know, for you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Now, if you, if you know a little bit of your church history, prior to get to Thessalonica, the, the, Jesus Christ was crucified in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, when he was crucified, he resurrected on the third day. And, and I'm, I'm sure we're, we're in agreement with that so far. And, and so... After that, the, the church just, you know, exploded. People started talking about this resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it started to grow. And uh, Peter, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down, and Peter preached a sermon, and he basically gave the bad news first. This is what happened in the wilderness. This is what happened when you guys, you know, came into the land. This is what happened, and God constantly was giving, showing grace and showing grace. And you murdered, your leaders murdered our Savior. 
And the men were torn at, at the heart. They said, well, what should we do? And, and he says, repent. That's what you should do. Just repent. And they did. And 3,000 were saved on that day. It started to gain you know, momentum. Thousands more were saved later. And more and more were being saved. And it just, it just exploded. And the, uh, the priests, the, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the, the Essenes, and all these groups were saying, well, what are we going to do? We've got to put a stop to this. In walked Saul. Saul started to persecute the Christians, the people of the way, and put them in jail. And, and, and it started to disperse. And the church was being persecuted, literally. Not like we find persecution today where they close the churches down, where they tell you you can't meet on a certain day or whatever the case may be. They were being persecuted. And as the churches started to go, wherever they went, they, they shared the gospel message and they were being persecuted. Paul is basically saying that you guys are imitators of those churches. You saw what they did to me and Timothy and Sylvanus. You saw what they did to us and they, 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 they chased us out of there. You saw what they did to Jason and you guys are doing the same thing. You're imitators. You've been transformed where it doesn't matter what they say about you. Beloved, if there needs to be a transformation at any point in history and time, it is right now. It is right now. The world system has infiltrated every, every area that you can think of, and it's starting to infiltrate the church. It's already gotten into the school systems. It's gotten into our children. It's gotten into the music industry. It's gotten into the music. Uh, it's gotten into the movie everywhere. It's in our higher education. It's, I mean, they went deep. They went deep way back years ago, 50s, 60s. They went deep. Now they're going wide. You see, there was a time where the, this, this movement that is going on, they say, you know, all we want is, all we want for you is to tolerate us. Just tolerate our differences. You know, we want to be different. We want to have the same love that you guys have. Just tolerate that. And, you know, Christians somehow fell asleep and, okay, well, we'll, we'll you know, that's, that's what you want to do. You do what you want to do. I got friends that do that kind of, you know, this is what I hear all the time. You know, I got friends that are a little bit different. They think they're this and they're whatever. And, and, you know, we're tolerating. Then there was, well, well, now you have to accept us. You know, just accept us into your church. And, and that's all. We just want to be accepted in the church. You know, we, we don't want anything to do with that anymore. And to, to be able to, to cause any damage or hurt you. So now, you know, there was a point of time where we were accepting them. Well, now we want you to celebrate with us. This is our month. This is the biggest month of the year for the, the pride uh, of, of people. You know, pride goes before the fall. You already know this. So just celebrate it with us. Come on, what's wrong with that? You, can, you don't have to participate in that. Oh, wait a minute. Now I want you to participate. See, it started with tolerance, acceptance, celebration. And now if you don't participate, you're ousted. And it slowly crept into the church. If there's any time that we need to stand our ground, it is right now. Beloved, it is, it is dire that you stand firm. And, you know, just like the churches in Judea, these churches were being persecuted. And one day, because I just said this and it went out into the airwaves, it might come back. You know, I, I might get thrown in prison or jail. We'll start a jail ministry, right? Just um, start collecting funds to, you know, <laughs> to bail out pastors if they let me out. You know, and to be honest with you, I don't think they'll pay attention to a small church like us. But that's the stand I'm taking. And that's the stand that each one of us have to take.
There is a time. There, there is so much in, in the schools and everywhere you go. You've got to be standing firm, as Paul says. You are imitators. You are imitators of the churches of Christ. You're imitators of us. Well, you saw what they did to us. You're imitators of us. And Paul continually says this in 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. In uh, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Look in the back of your outline, Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And the last one in verse 9 of chapter 4 in Philippians, what you have heard, what you have learned, what you have received, and what you have heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How many of us can actually say that to those around us? Imitate me. Imitate me. Be imitators of the church. You know the things I'm sharing with you, the things that you're learning from me, the things that you've received from me, the things that you hear from me, you know, put those things into practice. Put those things into practice. Beloved, right now, right now, the church is being dismantled from within. It's being dismantled. And you're seeing it happen before your eyes. And you've seen it happen. And, and there, there are now... So many agendas going on to dismantle the church, and it just started with, you know what, just tolerate us. We're not that bad. We don't want to change anything. I don't know if you guys remember back in 2010 when the, the law that was passed, you know, the marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it, and it was overturned. We, we, don't want, we don't mean any harm on you. We don't want any harm on you. We just want to love like the way we want to love. I don't know if you guys remember that. And we passed it. We said, no, marriage is between a man and a woman. Supreme Court judge says, no, it's not. Sorry, you guys are wrong. And there it goes. And so here we are in 2023. And things have changed. And it's, it's going to get worse. I, I would love to say, I would love to say that if we got all the politicians, the Republicans, the Democrats, the independents, you got, you know, the libertarians, you got them all together, all the Christian. Those that say that they're Christians, we just got them all together. That if you were to get all the uh, football players, the Christian, you know, Tim Tebow's, and, you know, we get all those guys together, and the baseball players, and the, the basketball and hockey players, and every sport, soccer player, those that gather around the circle and pray. That, and I, I, I'd like to say that if we got not only those, but, but also the influential uh, movie stars that are diehard Christians, you know, like Kirk Cameron and, and I don't know, but, you know, Jim Caviezel, but you know, people like that, those that are just dying, sold out for Jesus Christ, and the musicians, and, and everyone, the important people in the world, the businessmen, and, and we got them all together, and we would, you know, and I was trying to explain this to somebody yesterday, and they said, well, that'll never happen, and I go, well, th th let's just say it does, and we did, and we prayed, and we asked God, God, change this world. It would not change a thing. Because, see, the book's already been written. The end's already been scribbled out. And we know that it gets worse before it gets better. You see, before Jesus Christ returns, this world is going to be destroyed because of people that are in their sin. Now, I'm not trying to have a fatalistic approach. I'm a realist. I, I, I'm, I'm a theologian. I get into God's word. I read it. That's what it says. That's what's going to happen. I mean, should we pray? Yeah, we should pray. We should pray for each other. We should pray to stand firm. 
and share the gospel. That's my belief. You want to you get together? Let's share the gospel. And call and cry out for repentance. Repentance is not a suggestion. When Paul said repent, he's not, well, you know, I'd like for you. No, that's a command. When Jesus said repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't suggesting it. He said do it. And when we proclaim the gospel, we call for repentance. And, and we, we, if, we, if we got all these people together, that would be the call. Go out and preach the gospel. That's what we got to do. The genuine, authentic gospel of God. Not my perception of the gospel. Not my idea of the gospel. Not, not any uh, plan that, that I've learned. The spiritual. I'm not, not saying, I'm not saying anything bad about the spiritual laws and all those other ones. I'm just saying that it has to be the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is by, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That we're saved, nothing else. When we look at and we see what Paul is, is expressing here, you know, brothers, I, I says, you guys are imitators of the churches of God in Christ. And Jesus, you know, you guys are doing what the people in, in Judea and Jerusalem, the, all the persecution that's going on, that's what's happening. And, and so, so Paul goes on to the number three God's word will sustain the believer. You see, the power of God's word will empower the believer. The, 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 the power of God's word will transform the believer. And the power of God's word will sustain the believer. And I only got verse 14b there, but let me read it. Uh, let me read the whole thing. Because it says here, for, uh, for you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen. Now, he's talking to Gentiles. Okay, he's not talking to Jews. He's talking to those that are uh, Greeks and, or whatever, just a mixture of things. Remember, in, in the Bible, there's the Gentiles, which are uh, everything else, and there's Jews. Jews are, are God's chosen people. They're a race chosen all by themselves, and they, are, they claim to be, and they should be, a pure race. And then everybody else. That's us, Gentiles. So welcome, my fellow Gentiles, to our humble church. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them all at last. When you look at how God sustains us, we look at how the persecution, the torture of the churches, and how, the, how they're trying to silence, as he says here. And, and, and it's not just silence. They're trying to eradicate, transform, and change it. There should be, uh, according to their understanding, there should be people that love each other. It doesn't matter if they're homosexual, transgender. It doesn't matter what they are. If they genuinely believe in God, then yeah, they, we should just bring them in here. You let them, you know, if you believe in God, then you wouldn't live that way. You listen, you read the rest of the Bible. Oh no, but I believe, or I think, or I. Well, see, that's that's what we that's what we go off. I don't care what you believe or what you think. I don't care what what you feel. You know, and I hope it hurts your feelings because that's not what we're all about. What does the word say? And God's word will tell you exactly what he means. 
And that's where we need to stand at. We stand on God's word. And for the suffering, he goes on to say, for you suffered the same things as uh, from your own countrymen. Your, your, your little city there, those people there that, that are just anti-God. You guys are suffering this stuff like everybody else is, as they did from the Jews. You know, in the Old Testament, every time God brought a prophet in, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm very careful when, when people come up to you and say that they're prophets. And, and I say, well, you know, well, first of all, do you know what they did to all the prophets in the Bible? Uh, they killed them all. They ousted them. They, they, they got rid of them. They, they didn't want, want to hear anything from them. They didn't become popular. They didn't become movie stars. They didn't, they didn't get rich. They, they didn't. As a matter of fact, most of them lost everything. Isaiah is a good, a, a good example. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, meaning the glorification in heaven to the praise of his glory. Paul is saying, we're set. You've been sealed. You've been guaranteed. And you've received it. You've got that. God has given you his guarantee. How, how, how good of a guarantee is that? Can anybody explain that? Say, just... Give me a word. How good is that? How good is guarantee from God? What's that? Yes, perfect. It's on point. I mean, when God guarantees something, it's done. You cannot, you know, God's not going to say, ah, you know, I was just kidding. When you've committed your life to Christ, when you have repented and the Holy Spirit has regenerated you, you cannot get unregenerated. You are secure in that salvation. You're, you are already living in eternity. The only problem is, is that we are locked in this sinful body, this shell that we cannot take with us when we get to heaven. This body has to stay behind because I'm going to get me a new body, which is going to be an awesome, I, I, I pray, body. Well, it is. It's going to be different. You know, I'm not going to have all the, you know, the headaches and the backaches and the knees and whatever the case may be going on in my life and in your life as well. We get a new body. Can you imagine us? You know, God, I want to take this old body with me. No, you can't. They'll, they'll be fighting up there, the sinful body and the new body. No, you leave that one behind. It, it gets burnt off or it gets tore off. I, you know, it's, it's already done. You're already living in eternity right now. And what Paul is saying, when this happened, God gave you the, the, the prompt, the seal. He sealed you. He guarantees it. This inheritance, until the, the inheritance, an inheritance is, you know, something that you get when, when people die or later on. And we're, we're waiting for that. We're waiting for that moment that we get there until we acquire uh, possession of it to the praise of the glory of God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. How long is eternal life? Nobody can put a number on that one, right? It's a long time. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now look at that. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. Jesus Christ's hands are big enough to hold you. Somebody once said to me, well, you know, people can jump out. How big do you think God's hands are? <laughs> He's got hands that are going to hold you and secure you. You are secured in him. If you're genuinely saved, you know, this, is, this comes up to the point where people kind of mix the doctrines up. 
And they call it the uh, once saved, always saved doctrine. And it, it kind of touches on that. You know, it, it's basically correct. Uh, but I call it, and most people, what they call it is the, the security of the genuine believer. See, because the once saved, always saved idea, understanding doctrine is that, yeah, I came forward. I raised my hand. You know, they put my name in the Bible. I even got my spiritual birth date right there. See, I'm done. And so, yeah, I'll see you guys next year during Christmas or Easter. You know, but, but you know, I'm going to go out and live my life because I'm saved. Right. Uh, I can't lose it. Right. I'm good. Once saved, always saved is the idea, the thought. But you see, that's not the way it works. You see, when you are secure, you cannot lose it. And, and, and the, one of the reasons a lot of people don't like to uh, proclaim that, that you cannot lose your salvation, they actually preach that you can because a lot of pastors think that they're going to give you the license to go out and sin. So if I tell them that every time they sin, they're going to lose their salvation, then maybe we can keep them closer to the church and to God. But you know, right now, each one of us are somewhat sinning in a sense. The moment we walk out this door, we are sinning in our thought, in our ideas, in our, you know, some of you guys are saying, when's this thing going to be over, man? It's, it's lunchtime. I'm hungry. Uh, you know, there's a game I got to watch. And some people are saying, you know, it's, it's time and, or whatever. I just lose my focus. Jesus said, when they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, well, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Okay, Lord, heart, soul, mind. That's everything, yeah. When? All the time. The problem is, is that I break that commandment all the time. Sometimes I'm thinking about my wife, you know? And not necessarily in a bad way, you know? I'm thinking, I'm thinking about her, and I'm not thinking about God, and I'm breaking that commandment. So a lot of times I think about my grandchildren, or my children, you know, and, and I, I kind of lose focus on some projects that I'm doing, you know, and I just, you know, it, it's that is one commandment that we all break. It's a commandment of omission or yeah, omission. There's commandments of commission, things that I, I actually do or say. And I break those commandments all the time. And I say, you know, what? most people try to do is try to reel people in from drinking again or smoking again or doing drugs again or womanizing again from the life that they were in. And this is kind of what they're trying to say. You know, you do those things, you know, you're going to sin and you're going to lose your salvation. Well, what about the sins of omission? The things that I should be doing that I don't. You see, we are, we are sinful people and we got to recognize that. And this is why we need a Savior. Amen. Those that know Jesus' voice are in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And so what about those that claim to be Christians? What about those that are, you know, preaching and teaching and just going? You can only fake it so long. Look at the next verse. They went out from us, but they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. The only thing that you have in your possession right now, in your, in your mind, in your thinking, in, in, the only thing you have right now of the genuineness of my salvation is my life. And you don't really know, you don't really know if that person is saved. All you can know is what they do. You know them by their fruits, right? 
You know them by how they respond, how they act. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that in verse uh, Matthew 7, 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by how they act. Jesus made a very clear distinction. There are goats on the left and there are sheep. I am convinced, you know, and you know, as, as far as, I, as how I read scripture, I'm convinced that a sheep is a sheep and you can't convert a sheep. And goats are goats. You can't convert goats. You can't unconvert a sheep. Once a sheep is a sheep, it's a sheep. And a goat is a goat. And I was sharing this yesterday with some people that had animals. I go, you know the difference between a goat and a sheep? Oh, yeah, a goat is unruly. A goat will kill you. A goat will knock you down. A goat, you, know, you can't change a goat. No, you can't. See, and a sheep is a sheep. They hear the voice of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of wayward sheep out there. We don't know who they are. That's why we have to proclaim the word. When they hear the word, when they hear the word, he is brought back in to the fold. And you know what? That is the only time, that is the only time when that sheep, that lost sheep is brought in, that's the only time in heaven that heaven rejoices. Heaven doesn't rejoice with full pews and chairs and stadiums. They, they rejoice when one person repents and commits their life to Christ. And you will know them by their fruits. One of the scariest verses is Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But Lord, didn't we prophesy? In your, didn't we talk and share the gospel message with people? Didn't we do signs and wonders? Didn't we you know, pray for people and people got saved? Didn't we, you know, didn't we, do, the, those, didn't we do all the church stuff? Depart from me. I, I, never, I don't know what you were doing, <laughs> but it wasn't for me. Depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. There are a lot of people that are plain church. And what we want to do is we want to help people to, to grow and to examine themselves. See, because one thing that I'm sure of, one thing that I'm positive of, one thing that I know is that God is going to sustain you. We call it the perseverance of the saints. That's what they, it's called, but I'd like to say the, the, pers, the, the preservation. Perseverance makes it sound like I'm the one doing the work. I'm, I'm, I'm persevering. But really, it's God preserving you. He sustains you. He keeps you. And I am sure this. I, I am just absolutely positive of this, of God's word, of, of the way it is read and the way I understand it. I am sure of this. And Paul says in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not going to, God who, the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, all three, they're not going to just get you saved and just let you flounder around out there. You're sealed. You're guaranteed. You are His until the, you have the inheritance. And, and, and He's not going to just leave you there, get you saved. All right, next. That's not what He's going to do. I am sure, I am sure of this. As sure as Paul is, I personally, Pastor Sal, am sure of this, that if he began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. Now, what do we have to be afraid of? Well, they might not like me. Well, guess what? They didn't like Jesus much either. Well, they might, you know, I might lose my job. Well, you know what? Jesus lost his life. You know? 
well, you know, I don't, I don't want to be tortured. Well, Peter was tortured upside down. Matter of fact, well, I don't want to lose my stuff. Well, Paul lost his head. What can I tell you? Right now, church, is the time to stand and not to waffle. Don't compromise. As I said earlier, first of all, you know, just tolerate us. Yeah, accept us. Come on, celebrate with us. Now you've got to participate. I don't know what's going to be next. You know, persecute. Oh, you're not going to do it? Okay, now we've got to persecute you because you don't want to do it. You know, it's, it's the law. We just passed the law that you have to. You have to participate. You have to be a part of it. Oh, well, and, and yeah, one day, beloved, you will be an enemy of the state. It's coming. It's coming soon. Let me ask you to stand. But I, I give God the glory, and I thank God, as Paul does, I thank God for your faithfulness. I thank God for your allegiance to Christ. I thank God that he is working this, this work, this miracle in you, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I thank God that many of you are taking this challenge, and, and you're standing firm, and, and you're not going to waver, and you're going to read God's word to know more, to be able to share that with other people, because that is the message of the gospel. Paul got kicked out of this town. You know, you'd think he'd probably pack up and go back home. No, he went to the next town. He got kicked out of there. And he kicked out every, he went to every, he got kicked out of many other good places. Some, some great restaurants, I'm sure. He was kicked out of some of the fanciest places, the worst places. And he ended up in prison for two years and eventually he lost his life. And you know what? As you have seen, for those of you that are following and those of you that are understanding, this is kind of where we're headed. And it's not a very popular message. It's not even a feel-good message, I know. But it's the message that Paul was preaching to the people in Thessalonica. And he says, you know, Thessalonians, I want you to know that I'm praying for you because I know that you're going to make it through. God's going to sustain you. Father, thank you once again for that promise. And Lord, help us not to leave here the same, thinking that everything's going to be okay. That if we just pray hard enough, that we can eradicate everything that's going on in this world. That if we just got everybody together, that we can just, uh, just compromise and appease. Lord, we know that that's not the way. And so, Father, I know that one day we will all stand before you. And I pray that today that we can make that commitment in our life, that we are ready and willing to repent. To repent of the sin that we hold on to, to repent of the lifestyle that we live, to repent of that which displeases you. And I pray, Father, that we can understand the severity of it all. There is this attitude of apathy, of people just like thinking it's not going to matter much, but Lord, every inch matters. We know that only you can change this world. And we know that one day we will have a new world and a new heaven. But right now, we are to be, out, be about making new believers. And so help us to take that challenge of discipleship, of making disciples. Help us to understand the severity of it and to recognize. Paul understood it. Timothy, Sylvanus, the people in Thessalonica, they understood it. Help us to be imitators of them, we pray. Thank you again, Lord, for this time that you give us to celebrate 
those that have graduated, those that are, are here today, thank you for giving us this opportunity to, to love you even more so through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that are here visiting with us today, uh, this, is, this is a great Sunday, you know, because we're going to have uh, homemade tacos that my wife made. Uh, so, uh, we, we, you know what, we need to pray for the uh, Lord's Supper. <laughs> Communion. Uh, I'm already hungry, brother. <laughs> I want to go. Okay, yeah, I need that. Uh, we we celebrate communion, the Lord's table. Thank you, brother. Thank you for keeping me on point. We celebrate the Lord's table once a month on the first day of the month, and uh, we have what's called open communion. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you committed your life to Christ, uh, we ask you to participate with us. It's not just for the members. And so we're gonna we're gonna pray for the communion, and, and then uh, I'm gonna well actually I'm gonna ask you to go back and, and pick up your cups. Just go to the center aisle, and go back, and there's the the communion cups back there, and then we'll go from there. We'll lead you guys in prayer. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this wafer that represents your body. We know, Lord, that this is a symbol of our salvation. It is a symbol of what you've done for us. As Jesus took the afikomen, the bread of affliction, to symbolize the death that he was going to partake of the, the following day, we just thank you that we're able to remember even now. So as we all take, Lord, we just want to say thank you for all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All take. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For, when it, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for this juice that represents the blood that came out of the cup of redemption, the third cup in the supper. We know that it wasn't just an arbitrary cup that he pulled off the shelf. That Jesus Christ, what he did is he shared this one cup with his disciples that the Jews had been sharing for many years prior. 
And until that night, it made sense to them and it makes sense to us that this cup of redemption was fulfilled by Jesus himself. We thank you, Father, for, for giving him that, that task to take it to the cross, that each one of us can benefit from that. So, Father, as we take this juice, help us to remember. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we do pray for the fellowship that is to take place, for the food that has been prepared, that you help us to enjoy and celebrate with the, the graduates that are, that are here with us today and those that are, that are not able to be here. We thank you for, uh, for just the accomplishment and the hard work that they put in. And Lord, help them. I, I pray, Lord, that they are proud and, and ready to just join this workforce wherever they're going to be at to represent you in all that they do, Lord. Thank you so much, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen and amen. All right, let's run on over. Okay, don't let me get there first. <laughs>